Oh, it's that time of the week again. Time for a new episode of Inside the GM Studio podcast all about tabletop RPGs centered around the game master, mostly for the game master. But fuck it, players, go ahead and take a listen. I'm your host, Matt. I am David. And today we've got a bunch of shit about our Strahd campaign as we've gone two weeks since, uh, well, no, I guess we didn't record for a week. We played twice. We're going to play uh, so talk a lot about that. Uh, got our community questions. And then uh, later on, if we get some time, we got a little main topic for later. Uh, but first and foremost, two sessions now two. since our last recording. Yeah. The first one, I didn't get a lot done because I was dead most of the time. <laughs> unconscious. Stop saying dead. I was unconscious mm. for the majority of it. Uh, to me, yesterday, I think was the best session we've had so far since we started back together. Yeah. Uh, how'd you feel? I I think that this could probably kind of segue into our main topic today, which is I feel like last session went well, but the session before, I felt like I kind of dropped the ball on a little bit of uh, certain aspects, and I think it kind of plays into our topic today if we get to it, which is you know how to pace something that balances player spotlight and narrative arc. Uh, so I think that last last week, first week that we re didn't record and, and played when you were here, um, I just, I felt like I kind of messed up a little bit of the pacing, but I tried to kind of remedy that a little bit this week uh, because four hours of a session just kind of gets gobbled up and I want to try to push the adventure forward in some ways that allows us to get through some stuff. And I think that that balance is always delicate. I think I did a better job of it this week. Um, mostly it has to do with kind of knowing your players and kind of knowing what it is that they're likely to avail themselves to. So you know, you want to give the players an opportunity to shine, which is exactly what I was trying to do the previous week. And that, you know, I didn't really kind of push the the envelope with that as much. Um, but I felt that the pacing and the dramatic tension was a little higher this week. I mean, did you feel that that played out that way? I mean, independent of the fact that you obviously were unconscious for a good portion of the thing. <laughs> while you were, like you came out and like, they're like, hey, I'm here to play in person. And I'm like, yeah, you fall unconscious for half the session. <laughs> And, you know, I thought that's how, because Chris seemed really into the game yesterday. Like, he was very talkative and all that. And I think just him being there in person with you guys is a big thing for for everybody, really. Well, I had a pretty good conversation with him about uh, kind of his role in the group and kind of like, you know, his development of his character and kind of the narrative arc. Because initially, when it was just, Chris, Mike, and Beto, Chris was a little more vocal, but then when we got a bigger party, he was like, I kind of, and I kind of faded into the background, especially because that dovetailed with his character, like dying and coming back to life. And so he was kind of like sorting himself out. And then we kind of lost a couple party members and he was kind of like, I don't really know where that leaves me. I was like, well, I think you were kind of here with like being outspoken and opinionated and then you dialed it all the way back here 
And I'm like, I think you need to kind of come like halfway back, you know, because we have one fewer, two fewer players. And one of which was a very vocal and outspoken player. I'm like, I think it's kind of, you've played your character being reserved and kind of sorting himself out for a few sessions now, like five or six sessions since you've, you've transferred, uh, over and, and I think that now you should have kind of sorted yourself out and maybe it is time to be a little more vocal and outspoken. And I think that he took that to heart and kind of brought it to the game last night, which I think yeah. played out well. And with Chris coming out of the shell a little bit, uh, actually Beto took a back seat, but of course he's dealing with that work bullshit, mm -hmm. but Mike actually, he said about 10 sentences mm -hmm. in character, which is almost double for yeah, him. Almost double. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think that's just kind of, that kind of goes to my point is like, how do you foster an environment um, that allows characters to kind of come to the fore uh, and, but you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's a, you know, kind of table that for the main discussion uh, because I kind of have some thoughts on how I could have done better, which I think will act as kind of a cautionary tale to other DMs uh, that, you know, fuck, I've been DMing what? 20 how old am i 40 so uh, 28 years i started dm 28 was, years yeah, yeah fucking whatever that is um and i still make some of these mistakes because it, it it's just really easy to kind of fall into these mistakes and if you're not thoughtful about them about how to manage the pacing of a campaign that balances detail and depth between your characters and like moving through the actual plot of the adventure I felt like we struck a better balance uh, on Saturday this week with that. And, you know, even though we didn't really get through a lot, uh, I just kind of felt like the the pacing was a little better. I could, you know, I was curious to kind of get your thoughts. I feel like there was still a little bit of a lag in particular, um, but I don't really know how to ameliorate that without just basically telling some of the characters, just like, be better than what you are. Like, be yeah. more... All right, well, let's table this for now. Let's do a, a community question, and then we'll get back to this, because mm -hmm. I do believe we're going to be talking about this quite a bit. So 1D20 roll table of uh, community questions. Dave has an actual physical die this time. All right, go ahead and roll that up. Let's see what we got. I got six. Six. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Oh, I like how this starts. All right. Game system, 5E. Good to know. Good afternoon, fellow game masters. I am running a pirate campaign for my group. It's actually the second part of one I ran a couple years ago. As the soft reboot of the game, the party was arrested and thrown into prison. Their crew scattered to the four winds. Their ship impounded by the big bad evil guy. She has commissioned it and placed it in her armada, there in parentheses, now they have escaped prison and gone to ground in the city to try to figure out what happened to their ship. The town is currently involved with a festival to the sea god. One of the activities is going to be a ship parade where they'll see their ship. They were talking about attempting to take it back, maybe even during the parade. My question is, should I run it as a combat to take the ship back or a skill challenge or somehow both? Any advice is welcome. Thank you, Tia. Okay, yeah, I was found myself wondering, like, is there a fucking question on the horizon here? Like, how much context do people need to give you before <laughs> they just like um 
So the, the abridged question is the party is trying to take a ship back that was like previously right. in their ownership. And should that be, how should that be run? Right. So, and I think one of the big things is, is this during a parade, lots of people. And then it seems like the, the, the party is small against this other pirate captain who probably has a bigger crew. Well, like almost every answer to every question, it has to do with what it's funny because all these questions give you so much goddamn context. They give mm -hmm. you so much context as to the narrative, but what they don't ever contextualize for you is what they're trying to achieve. Like what sort of tenor and flavor you want your campaign to have, because the answer to any of these is dependent on that. Like, do you run it as a combat encounter? It depends. It depends on whether you want like a swashbuckling, gritty, violent scenario that fits your world. Or if you want it to be more diplomatic and sly or uh, cunning, then you might run it as a skill challenge. And if you wanted it to be more free form and open-ended, then you would probably run it as a role-playing encounter. And so that all depends on what sort of tenor and context and flavor of your campaign you're trying to run. And I think part of the reason if you sense some sort of uh, frustration on my part with some of these questions is because they're starting with a presumption that there is like a one size fits all. Like this is the right answer for this. It's like asking, should I play a arcane trickster rogue or should I play a thief rogue? Well, like there's some, like there's one right answer for that. It's like, well, what are you more interested in? What kind of character are you going for? Mm -hmm. And the same thing could be said for a GM running any sort of scenario. What are your players interested in? You could always have the, the scenario play out in one of two ways or even one of three ways, depending on how your players approach it. Are your players more autonomous or do they kind of need to be told this is how this is going to run? If they need to be told that this is how this is going to run, what is the sort of theme of your campaign that you're trying to get at and in which case you say okay we're running this like a skill challenge or we're running this like a combat encounter or we're running this like a role-playing encounter however you're running it but that said anytime something has got dramatic stakes you need to ask yourself what is the consequence of this what are the stakes how high are they and that will probably govern whether you run it as a fight or a skill challenge because if you want there to be some sort of sense of danger for your players, as well as like certain other NPCs and stuff, then you need to go like, okay, what is, what's on the table for being like a win condition and a loss condition? Um, maybe you see it differently. I've never really run a lot mm -hmm. of like swashbuckling seafaring campaigns, and it seems like you've run some more. Maybe there is a more straightforward answer to that. The best thing to do in this situation when, because uh, I've had something like this with my 50 Fathoms campaign, uh, it wasn't during a parade, but it was in a city making their way as they wanted to go and steal this ship. It wasn't theirs. They just wanted it. But 
the best thing is, is as they're going through the crowd during the parade, when they see their ship, skill challenge begins. They got to get through the crowd. They got to get there in time before the ship sails away. They got to get to that nice, that good point where they can leap on, swing from a rope, whatever it needs to be to get onto the ship. And then that's when combat can start. As as soon as they get on the deck, shit's going to fucking blow up. <clears throat> of course, the crew from the other, or, you know, the other pirate fucking whatever, going to come out, swords and pistols and whatnots. Sure, combat's going to ensue, but the best thing I got to say is, yeah, integrate both. Because that skill challenge to get to it first is really going to set the mood once they get on the boat. Are they going to be able to get onto the boat without them noticing? Are they just going to get caught up in the crowd, miss the boat completely? Or are they just going to land on the deck, screaming and yelling, ready to go? So that would be mine. Yeah, yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. You're right, like, because, but I, I was fixating on the verb, taking back the ship. But you're right, there could be, like, a two-phase, like, how do you get on the ship to take it back to begin with? Mm-hmm. And you could even have a certain conditions, like, okay, you know, like you said, stealth, acrobatics, athletics, you know, these skills, maybe even deception, um, Stuff like that, sleight of hand would probably be appropriate under certain circumstances. You could oh, run that sure. as a skill challenge, and then depending on the outcome, maybe it runs as a combat encounter if things don't go so well. But if they do go well, then maybe you do a subsequent skill challenge. But again, it's all about knowing, you know, it depends on the composition of your party, too. Right. If you have a bunch of like, you know, you say it's a swashbuckling campaign, but I don't know what that entails. Right. Like, presumably, it means that your characters are probably trained in these sort of things, but maybe they're not. You know, if you have guys that are more, you know, intelligence and wisdom based or really just kind of don't aren't trained in very many skills. When you have characters that aren't trained in very many skills and they comprise your party having a skill challenge isn't really as interesting and you might do it like for variety every now and again, even to illustrate to the party what some of their weaknesses are. But if, if by swashbuckling campaign, you mean that your characters are trained in dexterity and charisma based skills, which is kind of, to me, seems like it is, uh, expected then. Yeah. You know, maybe, skill challenge skill challenge like a long lengthy skill challenge or one that if it meets some win or lose condition then it evolves into into combat that could be good but it just depends on what the composition of your party is and what their tactic is and maybe they're just a smash and grab party in which case if that's how they are and that's what they're interested in then you should run it as a combat encounter if they're more skullduggery and stealth then try to run it as a skill challenge if they fail then maybe there is some cost to that where it, it, they get engaged in battle it, it depends on the capabilities and the interests of your your party and that is hardly ever illuminated in any of these scenarios mm-hmm. just kind of weird yep well uh i would then suggest of course this is all just our opinion uh ask no, them this, no as mine they... is objective fact this is objective yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh side note for that i saw the greatest bumper sticker today white bumper sticker irish flags all over it it said if you don't like thin lizzie 
then fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> it was awesome. But at the beginning of the skill challenge, let the players know, all right, we're going to go into a skill challenge. Do your thing. I want five successes before three failures, whatever it is. But before we start, I want to know what your guys's end goal is. When you get to the ship, what are you going to do? Sneak on? You got to take it by force. What do you want to do? Because that's just it. As soon as they get to the ship, that's when their minds go blank. And all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, fuck. I don't know what we're going to do. And we're surrounded by enemies. Yeah, I think that conversely, you could do it the other way, depending on, again, how free-flowing and autonomous your party is. You could say, all right, this is a skill challenge, and I need X amount of whatever before X, Y amount of failures. But you could also frame it in something like, okay, so the tax ahead of you is you're trying to get on the ship unnoticed and undermine the ship's captain. And the goal is to get a certain amount of people on the crew on your side before the captain realizes what it is that you're doing, right? And that kind of codifies it in narrative terms. You're mm -hmm. trying to do this before this happens, right? You need to make sure that you get from one end of the jungle to the other before um, the heat and the hazards of the jungle are able to sap your resources, right? That speaks about it in narrative terms. And then so the players are clear kind of what their goal or when and failure conditions are. And then you give them the mechanics. So in terms of game mechanics is what it means. We're going to run a skill challenge. And hopefully they have a good idea of what skills are going to be using. So one is inductive and the other is deductive, right? Like, do you want to give the players like, okay, what is your goal? And here's the mechanic I'm going to offer you. Or like, hey, here's the mechanic I want to use. And what are your goals? Like independent of that. And so that depends on the temperament of your party. You know, some some players are really more fire from the hip, free form players. Some players really want a lot of structure. They want structure from the DM and some players are structured in their own right. And they want, like they have a plan and they're kind of like, they're structured in, the, in a certain way and they want the story and everything to accommodate that structure. And so you have to kind of know, you have to think about it in terms of where is the dramatic tension? How do I want to best realize that dramatic tension based on what it is my players are interested in? Because if you just answer the question of like where the dramatic tension is, then, then you have the, the, the means by which you get there is not really as important as long as you know that this is the sense of drama you're trying to achieve. And some players are going to want to achieve that through role-playing through skill challenges, through combat, or maybe even through some other means entirely, some sort of combo hybrid or of any of those. But as long as you're answering the question of where the dramatic tension is and how your players prefer that dramatic tension to culminate, then you won't have any risk of, of having the wrong answer, so to speak. And that is the best answer so far. Well, there you go, Tia. I don't know if you're listening or if you've already gone through, because that, that one was probably pretty old. I actually probably put that in there about four weeks ago. Ooh. So I hope it went well. If you did, if you haven't done it yet, good luck. Perhaps we've given you a little bit of advice to go on. Maybe you've thought of something way better, because we can be dumb. But anyway, on to main topic, 
which is uh, going to go on and pretty much talk about our Strahd campaign. But uh also want to talk about the most difficult things to balance as a GM. <laughs> One of the things I already want to know, because I you brought it up yesterday at the game, um, and I know Beto was preoccupied with work bullshit again. It happens. But yeah, it does. And that's just it. I want to know, are you going to remind him? Uh, Beto, Beto in our campaign is a pack. Uh, he's a fiend warlock, right? Pack of the yep. fiend. Or, yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and he has the, the quasset with him that was given to him by his patron, which was Orcus. Orcus wants something uh, to be given to him from the party. And at one point when he was asking the quasset to kind of do a recon for us, you went on and you're like, oh, the master is calling. He wants his shit. You better bring him his fucking shit. And that's just it. I because he did he came out and he told it's just like oh nothing out there there's something about a master <laughs> he just doesn't fucking like, listen very closely yeah he was like oh yeah so, the master of this manner is like it's like that's you're just did you listen to the whole thing like you have to listen better bro so that was one thing I was going to bring up that uh balancing is to make sure that your players know like are you going to kind of remind him later before we play again in a month you know be like hey when he was talking to you, he didn't really mean the master of the manor. He's talking about fucking Orcus, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Part of me is kind of uh, a laissez faire DM, which is like, I don't know how to provide the players. Like, if you hold their hand through things, then they're not going to learn. Players just respond to incentives. Beto is. On one hand, he's a very good player because he's interested and he's enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. And he is always excited to be at the table. He's always excited, but like he just doesn't listen very carefully. He just doesn't fucking listen. He just doesn't pay attention in the way that he should. I don't know if it's because I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like I notice people that smoke a lot of pot don't pay a lot of attention. Like mm. maybe that's part of it. Maybe part of it is just that he's not used to playing D and D, but yeah, he just he just latched onto like a couple of words, and so I think the biggest challenge that I have is balancing that. How much do you lead the players along versus allow them to do their own thing? Because sometimes, if you allow them to do their own thing, things will stall out. And there'll be some indecision and there'll be whatever. This kind of plays into the whole pacing of the adventure. This is what I, I always say that pacing is the most difficult fucking thing to deal with. And in this case, it's, it's a pristine example. The, the first session we ran when you were here, I, I could have paced things better, but I wanted to give the players an opportunity to kind of like fill in some character stuff in the mm. gaps of maybe not otherwise super exciting stuff. And so part of you needs to acknowledge when you need to kind of cut bait, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to say like, oh, well, I know that this player doesn't really like doing this stuff because then you're just kind of pigeonholing them. You're not ever giving them yeah. an opportunity, but if you give them an opportunity and they don't avail themselves to it, you need to know when to cut that fucking line and just move on with the adventure. So, 
to me, that's always a big challenge. I felt like a couple of weeks ago, I didn't do it as well. I waste, we wasted a lot of time on some inane exploration stuff in the adventure that I thought might give rise to some interesting character dynamics between two characters that have a little bit of dramatic tension among them. You know, Beto's character, like you said, is a fiend pack warlock and, and Patrick's character is a oath of vengeance paladin. These things are in collision and you would think like they're going to explore part of the manor by themselves that that would afford them some opportunity to have some like role-playing encounter or like some sort of interaction. I feel like I did a little bit better this week. They were on watch together during the long rest. I gave them an opportunity like, hey, like, and then they just were like, eh, whatever. I'm like, okay, fine, move <laughs> along, right? I don't, yeah. you've, give, you've been given the opportunity and if you don't want to avail yourself to that opportunity, I'm not going to force you to do things that I think are interesting for the sake of the campaign. Oh, but I don't know. Do, do you feel like that kind of undermines the dramatic stakes of the the situation when players don't want to engage in things that are clearly like meant to be somewhat a variance in like inner party strife? I don't. Yeah, me personally, I do. Just because that's I really enjoy that. I love character interaction, mm-hmm. um, especially characters that are driving the adventure. Like my whole thing is I have this story in my head and it's, you know, our job to help the, the GM to make, to flush it out pretty Mm -hmm. much. Yeah. So that's just it. I want the players to talk a lot more. I want them to interact with the world. I want them to give their own flair on some things. And unfortunately our group is just, I don't know if a lot of them are just still too new because it took me a little while before I really got into it before I started doing that. But well, like, yeah, that, that's what I, I really liked that. Like, you know, the previous session, because we had kind of cut bait with a couple of the players, I had killed off their characters in a gruesome fashion. That's usually what I do. Um, and so, you know, I did like that. Like Chris was like, Hey, I want to get a sense of how the party is really coping. I thought that was awesome. It. I like stuff like that, but mm-hmm. but at the same token, there was some missed opportunities for character development. But I feel like I did a better job this week of kind of like, okay, we're not really moving along with this, and I feel like I've given you some opportunities. I'm going to fill that otherwise empty space with something that just is building dramatic tension and mood right Mm -hmm. and this is the biggest uh thing that i have that is a zero-sum game we talk about pacing so there's on one hand you have getting through more stuff moving the adventure along one encounter to the other and on the other you have kind of building mood and building setting and i feel like i do the second thing fairly well during exploration and during like scene setting but what i'm not so great at is like within combat there is kind of i don't know how to strike that balance as well where it's like if you describe like what happens in each round of combat because the players aren't doing that they're not describing it 
then that takes up more time. It builds more mood and it builds more aesthetic, but it also takes up more time as opposed to a more economic approach. And I think what I'm landing on the side of is that descriptions should be reserved for one of two things. One, things that are of great heroic importance, a critical hit, a death, um, some sort of thing that involves like some dramatic cinematic thing. Or, so that's one category. The second category would be something that involves something that's quintessential to your character, right? A uh, cleric turns undead. A bard plays, uses his bardic inspiration. A warrior is at the front line defending, you know, absorbing lots of blows. Description could be punctuated by those things a little bit better and not have to provide as much description with each round of combat. I tried to do that a little more this week, and I think that we kind of struck a better balance between how long a fight takes and how vivid the the cinematic description is, but maybe I'm off base there. I will give you mad kudos, because I think you did. You balanced it really good yesterday. Okay, yeah. I felt uh, like I was your environmental better. description, fucking point, the combat that we had, the little bit, and then the very end there, also on point. I think you really... I don't know you were just, you were in the zone yesterday. You had it, okay? I, yeah, because I was like, I was trying to troubleshoot because the previous week I felt like I didn't do so well. No, yeah, last well because that was just like the first two and a half hours of the game was me falling unconscious and then them trying to beat these fucking spiders. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I also got to say your progression was a lot better as well because you were throwing little hints here and there for everybody and giving other little hints of what could be happening, like with the, the sound of the gargoyles on the top scratching, <laughs> the noises and whatnot, and then the scroll, the, the journal piece that came out. Yeah. is just these little things to kind of push people in a direction, but it wasn't railroading. It was I just prefer, giving nudge. Them... Nudge. There you go. Nudge, it is. Nudge. It was. It was a total nudge. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's the balance that I want to strike is like, I want to keep the adventure moving forward. And the previous week, it, it had just been so long. You know, I'd gotten used to um, as flaky as he is, playing with Cody is a lot. Cody would fucking just move the goddamn narrative. Mm -hmm. Like Cody is just like a narrative. Like he's just like, I'm going to go and do. And so, and I was giving Chris Davis, uh, plays our cleric, Tarin. Um, the one that had returned from the dead and kind of shifted his domain. It was kind of funny. He was telling me, he was like, man, I was watching, he was, I was watching the, uh, this, what's it called? Dungeon dudes. You know, these guys. I don't. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's like a podcast that he really likes. It's about D and D. And he was like, I guess the guy was talking about how, you know, what would be really cool is that, that you were like a life domain cleric and then you died and came back to life. And then you would like switch your domain from like a clear, like a grave domain cleric. That would be a really cool concept. And he was just like, I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm living that shit right now, bro. <laughs> exactly what happened. <laughs> like, but anyway, so he, uh, he's kind of like striking a balance of like, how um to kind of like reintegrate back into the party but he had kind of asked me like you know what can i do to kind of i i don't want to you know i'm not the highest charisma character i don't want to be governing like what it is that we're doing and i gave him some tips on that front about how to use his wisdom as like an advisor and kind of you know push the adventure along because the pacing 
is so key, but there's only so much as the GM that you can do. I, I'm wondering as a player, like especially as the leader of the party, um, do you just try to be like acutely aware of when the DM is nudging any given player and kind of help do that? Or do you have some other tactics as a player, like especially like a charismatic, you know, you know, reluctant leader type uh, to, to kind of help the pacing of the venture keep along? Unf unfortunately, because I've been playing almost as long as you have, especially as a D DM GM myself, is I can, it's almost like a sixth sense is I can sit here or I can sit right next to you at the table and I can start to like feel the heat coming off of you. That's just like, come on guys, just fucking let's go. And then I'll try to like kick something in. Uh, but also, I don't know. I guess I do every now and then I, I always just try to get the party to open up a little bit more through my own play. Like I try to uh, insight interaction with a lot of things but uh, usually it doesn't, nothing really comes of it, at least not yet. Yeah, I, think, I will break, I will break them. I think that this was some of the advice that I was giving, uh, you know, our, our cleric, which I was like, you have to find out, like, what are the things that you have in common with any given character and try to figure out, like, how you talk to them about those things, right? So, like, He's the cleric, and so he's likely got some semblance of like faith and and zeal in common with the paladin. But at the same time, um, you're like a bard, so he kind of has like the maybe the magic element. Um, although you're not a very magic castery like bard, you kind of like. No. I like. I'm really making them as hybrid as possible. Yeah, it's I I always forget like some things that you have uh, going on, but I was but yeah, that was some advice that I was giving him. I was like, look, you know, you don't have to govern the the direction of the campaign. You know, you're a wise character and somewhat charismatic, but you can be an advisor to one or the other of the more charismatic characters and find the things that you have in common with them and try to get them talking about the things that they have expertise in and that can kind of build some sort of connections because one of the things that I think is kind of why I appreciated that Chris was asking how all the characters were coping with the death of the two PCs that were gone was because there wasn't a lot of camaraderie between those PCs. You know, it's mm -hmm. like you guys kind of just like, Oh yeah, like they're dead. Like they just shrugged it off. And like, that's not, <laughs> That's not ideal, right? You need to build party dynamics. You know, that was one of the things that I really like about uh, that um, Legend of Vox Machina show. It's, it's kind of funny and lighthearted, but they do a very good job of making the dynamics between each type, each character and each other character unique. And, uh, you know, I always point to Firefly as the kind of great dynamic web that is... Uh, in media but you know the avengers does it well too but it's your different relationships with any given character right like you're the cleric what's your relationship to Exel, who's a fighter right what's your relationship to him you guys have traveled for a gather you know okay so maybe there's some camaraderie there and you're kind of suspicious you're you're like sure you have some common 
abilities or um, characteristics to your character that are that are more ecumenical, that are the same across any given person. But you also have certain dynamics, right, with any given party member, and doing that fosters uh, connections, and those connections are what make there be any gravity between the nature of your relationship. And I thought that the, that cartoon does it very well. Like, you mm. know, they have specific connections, you know, that between the barbarian and the cleric and the cleric and the bard and between the ranger and the rogue and the, the rogue and the druid. And they all have like unique relationships with one another. And, and I, I would like there to be more of that because Otherwise, you just kind of look at characters as like interchangeable. That's every character. Like you know, I was made a I made a quip about that where it's like, oh, I try to see how everybody is doing. Everyone's like, oh, I'm fine. Basically, it's like, <laughs> well, gee, uh, that that moment makes you feel super good. Like when your character fucking kicks the bucket, everybody's gonna go like, ah, he was a cleric, and uh, I guess mm. I gotta get a new cleric now. It's like, well, that doesn't really foster any sort of stakes to the game let alone the kind of sense of dread or whatever that you're hoping to foster in a horror campaign mm -hmm. well i uh i always love the the firefly analogy because i've always liked that in the party that though you guys may bicker and say that you hate each other a whole bunch you're willing to take a, a bullet for each other pretty much at any time why why are you willing to? What is, you know, what is it that makes you want to fight for this guy? Even though, no matter what, at the end of the day, you're still going to be bitching about where you're going to go eat later. Sure. That's, yeah, Firefly is a really good example of that. And I think that, you know, Joss Whedon took some of those, some of that dynamic over into the Avengers and it's part of what makes the Avengers good. But, yeah, The Legend of Vox Machina has it too, where it's like, mm -hmm. you need you need unique dynamics between any given two characters and the more characters you have, the more challenging that it is, but you can always have like these little micro interactions that, that, that build that over time. And whether you're exploring with, a, you know, one other party member or you're setting up camp or you're searching for something foraging or whatever, those are like pristine moments to kind of foster those little like interactions between your characters, especially if there's some sort of rivalry or resentment. Um, anytime the emotions are pronounced, right? There's some rivalry or suspicion or romantic attraction or something like that. Some sort of anytime that they're, they're super pronounced, the more you can reinforce them, the better. And so that's always trying to rope the players into that sort of dynamic is an interesting exercise, but you have to recognize that sometimes players aren't interested in that. And so yeah. for me, that's difficult. That was going to be my next one of uh, balancing is speaking of Vox Machina, it shows the show itself begins just how a lot of people's uh, games start. You got a bunch of fucking adventures that all they want to do is kill monsters and get gold. Mm -hmm. That's their big thing. But later on down the line, things happen. All of a sudden, they're the main characters of a story. And even if your campaign is not a heroic story, they're still the main characters and fucked up shit could happen. And 
this big narrative happens. And that's the thing is starting at the start, you know, the starting point, working your way in and then keeping that build. Uh, I've stalled out so many times because I think I'm going too fast. Like I'm trying to make the, the narrative build, the story build and come to this uh, peak before I can go to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is one of mine that I am very, I'm really, really trying to fix. Uh, trying not to build as much, let it a gradual climb instead of a, a sheer, you know, mountain to just make your way up. Yeah. Well, you want to, that's the thing is you don't want to like tell, you don't want to tell characters how they feel about other characters. But at the same time, you're trying to foster some sort of dynamic between them. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are some segment of players that want to be told how they feel about things. And there are some players that are like, yeah, don't tell me how I feel about stuff. Like I'm making my own fucking mind. Yeah. But it's like, how do you get, you need to give them opportunities to demonstrate how it is that they're thinking and feeling about the events that are happening in the adventure. And this all plays into the concept of pacing because the more you give them opportunities for any given thing, you know, side quests or, you know, quiet moments where they can interact with each other. You need to decide that those things, if the players aren't availing themselves to it, then you need to kind of cut the loss. But it's like, I I, I never know how to like, how do I encourage players to, because sometimes like, I feel like with our, like, especially the players that we play with, they're just kind of like, what is happening? Right. Like, yeah. I'm just waiting for the next thing to happen. And it's like, man, like, that's a real missed opportunity. Like, what if, like, okay, I'm just waiting. Like, what's, what's happening? What am I doing? And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're doing. Like, what are you doing? What does this matter to you? Like, how do you take these, these moments and these small opportunities? And it's like, but sometimes they just like want to be like, look, I'm just going to kind of sit here and wait for things to happen and then i'm going to react to the things that happen instead of that's why cody is much as he's kind of like a flaky player like he's not that kind of player like i will go out and i will interact with the world and i will like push things forward and you need a certain amount of that with players you can't have a whole group of guys like that because then it's just fucking bedlam but (laughs) um but you need some of it because you can't just have like oh like the whole like well what are we doing it's like what we let's like stop using the passive voice like take an active role in what's going on no matter what it is and i don't know that it's i don't know how to read the players like lack of willingness to engage with a certain element of the plot as a disinterest in that and i should kind of gloss over it and move forward to something that's more bright and shiny and like moving pictures and objects or or if it's like they're just like they're interested in that, but they just don't know how to navigate or interact in a way in a given scenario where it's like, I don't know what to do, you know, where I'm just like kind of we're here camping and getting at a rest. I don't really know what to do in a, any way that's meaningful. And it's like, okay, that's fair. And you need to kind of, so I don't know. I just, I always struggle with that. Like, how do I pace the adventure into something that has, 
drama, but doesn't leave me as the DM just kind of dominating and talking and like, yeah. and then you go over here and you do this and this is, this is what you have. And, and then you go over here and you do this and you guys move your way up to here. And then like, now you're in this battle. Right. And it's like, well, we, I, I don't, <laughs> and I initiative. Right. I was like, I didn't, how did we get here? I didn't like assume, but there is some amount of the players wanting that. They just didn't want to be kind of led along. And it's so, I, I don't know. What are some tactics that you have when you, because you're a more laissez-faire DM than I am. You're more mm -hmm. laxed and less structured. So I just, I don't want too much structure because I'm already a fairly structured DM, but at the same time, I don't want the, the whole campaign to just kind of run off the rails. Yeah. Uh, Cause I've had it plenty of times where I've had to just push the players. I've got, I'll say eight, times out of 10 i just got to push them into whatever direction they need to go in order to fulfill the story that i have in my head um one thing is like you were saying you know uh i don't know how does it make me feel as i don't you know i don't want to tell you how you feel but you get a sense of this and i'll give a little description it's like how does that make you feel how does that well not you your character how does that make them feel I'm like, oh well, that that fucking sucks. I'm just like, well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know, sucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's not the best description, but yet you have a feeling now. Sure. Yeah. Run with uh, that. And so it's like I don't know. It's uh, you try to suss out some level of substance sometimes players just kind of get like this attitude like well you know i'm of nature i don't <laughs> it's that like just at mikey's eulogy <laughs> from one dragonborn to another he was of he nature he was of nature <laughs> you know that said though i did feel like uh patrick's description of how he was processing the depths of the characters was interesting because he was like you know look mm -hmm. i'm used to you know, like I'm a vengeance-seeking paladin, and these guys were taken out by something that I can't really seek vengeance upon. And so I don't really know how to feel about that. You know, like you have this idea that like people kind of go out in the glory of battle because that's just the way I'm accustomed to thinking about things. Mm. And this is, he's like, so he's just kind of like confused emotionally. Like, I don't really know what to think about. Like, and it's like, okay, that was actually somewhat substantive and interesting so um for patrick it's very much it's just like i don't know i'm just really confused motion <laughs> yeah. but yeah i, I, I don't know. know like i i try to strike that that balance between pacing and like giving players space to develop their characters how they see fit and because you don't want to like a you don't want to railroad them, but at the same time you do want the adventure to continue moving along. You don't want to make the assumption that because a player has never given you that level of depth that they will never do that. Because who knows? I mean, maybe if given the right circumstances and the right incentives, they actually might kind of come out of their shell a little bit. And you want to incentivize that, but you also don't want it to bog the adventure down with lots of like awkward, silent fucking nonsense where it's like you could be doing something and but i i reestablishing that was 
a bit of a challenge for me uh, once we started back up Curse of Straw, but I felt like I did better this week than I did the previous week and hopefully better next time around too. Oh, yes, you did. But uh, I'm thinking that I might take the reins a little bit more than I originally wanted to just to get it moving, have some things going on. I want, you know, I'm trying to do little bits here and there to get, you know, the, the party to interact, but it's just not happening. So maybe if I take them a little bit more, again, this is something that I'm just thinking, maybe it'll be like, Hey, wait a minute. I have ideas. I got ideas too. We should do this. It's like, Oh, I think that, this is some advice that I gave Chris and maybe it, maybe it will be germane advice for you too. Um, because I know that you don't have much interest in being kind of an authoritative leader. Mm -hmm. But what the advice that I told Chris is that I'm like, look, if you want to govern what happens with the party and kind of how any given scenario is playing out, what you should do is try to, okay, so you have, Align yourself either with like, where do your loyalties lie? You know, Alistair is the leader of the party and he is elected because he is practical and likable, right? He's down to earth. He's pragmatic and he's even handed. So there's that benefit. However, Patrick's character is a holy man, much like you. And he, although he might not be practical, he's firm in his like direct concept of like what it is that's right. and so. Which of those do you want to align yourself? Try talking to that player individually instead mm -hmm. of saying something to the effect of like, what are we doing? Or I think this thing, like talk to a specific player specifically about your specific goals and kind of make a case to them, align yourself with them. And I think as the party leader, that would probably be a good sense. Like maybe you don't want to drop the hammer and be like, this is what we're doing, but you could talk to other players like Excel. And we're here at Ark and Vestal as, as, you know, uh, a quest that you, whatever, like, what is it do you think that's prudent? What information do you have? And like, you know, seek his counsel. And then you're the one that like takes in that information and makes a, a decision. Like, this is what mm -hmm. we're doing. And so that's much more of a, a diplomatic approach, engaging any given player in the party. And you're like, uh, you know the rudder on the boat, right? You just kind of like, they're the wind that like blows, but you're the rudder that like guides the boat toward a specific direction, but you're not the one that like provides the impetus and the guidance because, um, so maybe that would be more of a way to kind of foster party discussion and party dynamics mm -hmm. about something. Uh, and I think that, 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 that was the advice that I gave Chris is like, try just engaging a specific character and a specific player instead of keeping things passive and general because when you do that what are we doing do we want to do this uh beto's notorious for this despite playing a high charisma character he's always uh talking in the passive voice and that's not good because what it does is it says there's six players in the party and when you talk in a passive voice, you're basically dividing the responsibility upon each of the parties. Like each, any given individual has 15% of responsibility mm. or whatever it is. And that's, or, you know, that's 18% or 17 and a half percent of responsibility. 
And so, but when you specifically speak to a certain character, Excel, we are here at Argon Bestol because of X, Y, or Z. Like, what is it you think about it? You know, it's that old adage where, um, you know, if something's, if something's going off, right? Like, and you're, you know, at work or at any given situation and someone is hurt or there's a fire or something, you don't say someone call the police, someone call the fire department. It disperses the responsibility too much among all of the viewers and no one feels like they have any responsibility. But if you're, if you say you, Matt quickly Hansen, turn and point. Yeah, you point and you say, you call the police, you go get the fire extinguisher. Then, then people like 100% of the responsibility for that thing is on them. And I think if there was more of that within the party dynamic, um, teasing out what any given player wants and running it through the meat grinder of like other considerations, um, then it would be good, especially because it allows certain players to have a time to shine, right? Like, you're, okay, I'm the leader of the party, but like we're here at the behest of uh, Victor. We're here at the behest of Excel. This is the quest that like, you know, hey, like you, this is your you know, you're fucking, fucking this pig or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. what is it that you think that we should be doing? And I'll kind of like take that under advisement. And so that fosters good party dynamics because it feels like you're a leader that listens to the party and whatever. And you're also not being authoritative. Like, this is what we're going to do. You're yeah. just the one deciding what needs to be decided. And that's not mm -hmm. really all that much of a big deal. The last one I had on my mind uh, that I think we'll close out on, when it comes to balancing, I've said this many times, is I usually start with pre-written adventures and then I make it my own. Mm -hmm. Big way that I make it my own is that I take characters' backgrounds or things that they do in the game and I weave that in uh, something that will kind of pull, well, I guess point towards them through the story. And one thing that I have a problem with is that I will get something really good on one of the characters and I'll run with it for fucking way too long. And nobody has ever said shit about it. Like nobody's ever said, hey, man, where's my spotlight? But just me alone, when I think about it, I'm just like, holy shit, dude, I've been really putting them on a pedestal and not really giving anything else to the other players. That is something else that I really need Uh I need to start balancing out a lot better just because it worked that one time and it's gradually gotten better and better. There is a time to split out for all of them. No, I agree entirely, especially because players won't ever tell you like, Hey, I feel like you're favoring this character. You're more interested in this character. And some of that's not even totally unjustified, man. Like some characters, yeah. some characters, some players, do a better job of making their characters like interesting and like slotting into the narrative and like, and it's like, okay, so like this guy or gal made a lot of effort into like making their, their character kind of a rich, rich and complicated character that slots into the narrative that gives me a variety of options, personalities, bonds, loyalties, and, and all this stuff. And you're really surprised that I pay a little more attention to their character than your guy that's like a boilerplate fucking like template from the player's handbook. It's like, yeah. 
come on, man, like do, you know, it's a give and take, but you also want to be aware and cognizant of that, that bias. And, um, you know, I, I probably have that bias as, as far as you're concerned, like you're another GM, you're another DM. And I, I just kind of go like, okay, well, I just like need to involve the other characters. Cause I know like Matt, like Matt's on my side. Right. And it's like, yeah, okay. I, I, maybe there are some other elements of your character and, and, and your backstory or whatever that I could kind of pull at that thread, but I'm so busy mm -hmm. with like trying to engage Mike and engage Beto and engage Chris in some way that is like meaningful that I kind of just go like, yeah, like, well, you're, you, you know what it's like as a DM. So you're like, <laughs> you're good. Right. I probably could be better about like making your character come into the fore of the actual adventure. But the one thing is, is I love the stories that are coming from those guys. Mike, I don't know so much because his doesn't really come up that much, mm -hmm. but like Chris's backstory is fucking dope. I love that his transition that he's going through, you know, domains and all that mm -hmm. Beto's I think is fucking badass and I wish you would really lean into it a little bit more yeah and that's just it I'm like I want to see how these end before I even ask for something for me yeah and that's that's the thing is I think that maybe you it's possible that uh I don't know how much of Mike's backstory but Mike's Mike's like a samurai and he had like he had been trained by the shogun who had like disappeared and so then he had gotten sucked into Barovia and now the spirit of that Shogun is like beckoning him to like go to Arganvastol and like light the beacon and like, uh, you know, get the artifact or whatever to like, and he doesn't really know kind of where that is, but, um, but yeah, I don't remember how much of that happened while you were in the party or happened before because I'm trying to balance all the character dynamics. Yeah, that was all, that's just, I never really knew a lot of the, the backstory to the other three because when we started it was just kind of like thrown in there yeah and uh they had uh, all this past before we even got into it they were already lizzie we started at level four five, four, four or five yeah. five five yeah so, so yeah, yeah we never that's... got to know any of that yeah i don't remember how much of it had come. like and then then you get like you know each segment you know you have seven players or whatever and each you know, you have to try to balance it. So luckily, like, you know, Shamish's character was like a throwaway character. He didn't really have any background or anything like that. But <laughs> he's just of nature. Yeah, he's just totally of nature. But um, but yeah, I think that that those those challenges, and like I said, this is probably a cautionary tale that something it's easy to fall into that pitfall of kind of not being as thoughtful about how to pace an adventure and how to like allow each of your characters to bring what it is that they're interested in to the game. And mm -hmm. I can't even imagine if you were like a first time DM with a you know, whole slew of players, because I've been DM in a long time. And sometimes I fall into these pitfalls of just like, eh, like whatever. It's like, just, you have to make sure that you're being thoughtful about every interaction and every moment of time. And it's part of yep. what makes being a part of what makes being a DM or a GM just so fucking exhausting is that you have to <laughs> yeah. constantly maintain like every element of the game. Um, and that's one thing. That's what I kind of want to say is if you don't get anything back, if the GM doesn't get anything back from the players, then you're just reading off a page and there's only so much substance that you can put on, on a page. Yeah. But I think that's going to be it for this week's episode. 
if you would like to send in a question, a topic, anything that we can talk about, bitch about, fucking go off on tangents about, and then talk about our own campaign as well and how we associate with you and how we we got the feels, bro. We know how you feel. So, uh, shoot us an email at inside the GM studio at gmail.com. Uh, let's see. We are going to be off for a couple weeks. We're going to be off um, for a couple weeks. I think we got enough episodes in the can to, to uh, offset that. But by the time we get back, uh, we're probably going to be just be doing them fresh every week. Fresh every week. But uh, for this episode of Inside the GM Studio, I have been your host, Matt. I am David. Good night. Good night.